0: Hello, and welcome to the Battle Cry podcast with Mark Meckler. Catch the original live broadcast Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern. Go to conventionofstates.com slash pod to learn more. And now, here's the Battle Cry with Mark Meckler. Hey, everyone. Happy Sunday evening, and welcome to the Battle Cry. I'm Mark Meckler. I'm your host, and I'm really excited to be here. And I'm, like, really, really, really excited to be here this week because this week's theme is celebrate right because you got victories this week and sometimes we just got to take time stop smell the roses or whatever your favorite flower is and celebrate and it's been an incredible week for liberty and that's because of the supreme court also i got to say you might see something going on in the background here you see the big dog levi there and you also see the little guy that's winston wandering around so he is a 15 week old puppy he is now i just weighed him this morning he's getting hard to weigh because i got to hold him he's now 42 pounds at 15 weeks. So that gives you some idea of what we're in store for. That's what happens when you have a great dean. And if there's a little bit of craziness in the background, I apologize. That might happen, but that's puppyhood. Anyway, I'm celebrating having a puppy, but I'm really celebrating the Supreme Court. And I want to start with this. When I talk about the Supreme Court, I think this is important. A couple of things. One is, I got to say, that what happened with the first big decision we're gonna talk about, which is the Dobbs decision, probably the biggest political event in my lifetime. That's the overturning of Roe versus Wade. We'll dig into that in a minute, but you gotta step back a couple of steps because I think one of the most important things to note is how this happened and the way it happened is that President Trump got elected. And look, whether you love President Trump, whether you hate President Trump, whether you like the policies, hated the tweets, whatever it was, whether you voted for him or not, if you're a pro-life person, You got to say a thank you for President Trump right now, because the decisions that we're seeing out of the Supreme Court, which are literally transformational decisions, are coming from the fact that the president kept his promise, President Trump kept his promise to appoint pretty conservative justices to the United States Supreme Court. So I have to say on a personal level, President Trump, God bless you for keeping those promises. Thank you, because uh, we're seeing a lot of great stuff. There are going to be a lot of babies that are going to end up being born and living out hopefully productive lives because you had the fortitude to keep your promises and appoint the right kind of justices to the Supreme Court. So there's always a political element to the Supreme Court because the appointments come basically through the political process. Whoever is president is going to get the opportunity, generally speaking, if they have the Senate with them to appoint Supreme Court justices. So it tells you it's important to have the president. It tells you it's important to have a president that's willing to appoint the right kind of justices. We're seeing some great stuff because of that. So let's jump right into it and go into the cases because there's some really exciting stuff going on. First is I'm gonna hit uh, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association. And this is now a proper understanding of the second amendment. So this case, sort of the roots go back almost 10 years to the Heller case. The Heller case held that your right to keep firearms was a fundamental right. And that meant that the scrutiny that the Supreme Court or lower court should apply is pretty strict when it comes to regulating your right to keep firearms. When this happened 10 years ago, the left went crazy. They thought it was just the most horrible thing. How could it be a fundamental right? I don't see how any right that is an inalienable right is not fundamental, but specifically now, the right to keep arms is among them because of Heller. In the 10 years since the Heller decision, in a lot of the blue states, the lower courts have ignored Heller. California has been one of the worst examples of that. I think there have been at least three cases that have made their way up to the Supreme Court since Heller that are California cases where the Supreme Court basically just said, no, shut up. We really meant it. You, You have to agree that this is a fundamental right and you have to apply a very strict level of scrutiny when you're looking at regulations that impede on that right. Well, the question then became, if you have the right to keep guns, do you have the right to carry them? And you can see what Winston thinks about this. So Winston's in the middle of it, right, buddy? Okay, there you go. So the question is, keep, yes, bear, carry them with you. That becomes the question. So that's what keep and bear arms bearing means to carry a firearm on you. And there are at least six states that had laws like the New York law, which basically said if you wanted to have a permit to carry a pistol, to carry a gun with you, you had to prove some sort of special need. You had to show that your life was somehow specially threatened. Maybe you were a media figure. I know a lot of the media figures in New York get these permits, they're connected, they're wealthy. They can show a greater threat than the average person. Maybe if you carried jewelry, I, I think this was available occasionally to people who transported large amounts of valuable jewelry for their business. People who carried large amounts of cash for their business. There weren't a lot of them. They were very restricted. Mostly, it was reserved for people who were politically connected. So what they had done is they had effectively cut off a fundamental part, I would argue, of your Second Amendment rights, the right to bear arms. So they'd already had to deal with the fact that you could keep guns in your house, but could you carry them with you was the question in New York. That's called uh, New York Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. It's been come to be known as the Bruin case. And what the court determined, and this was a majority opinion, 6-3, written by Chief Justice Thomas, it was a beautiful primer, essentially a treatise on Second Amendment law, In the history of the united states fantastic decision there's a new standard of review basically what you have to look at what the courts will now have to look at is is this limitation whatever the limitation being proposed by a state or by a locality on the right to keep and bear arms is it supported in our history in other words it is a fundamental part of american history and what the court determined is this kind of special test where you have to prove some special circumstances? No, not a fundamental part of our history. Now, the dissents say, well, there were some cases around the country where states made there be some kind of special requirement like this, but fundamentally all across the country since the beginning of the country, it was known that the right to bear arms to carry them with you was fundamental and it was basically unrestricted all over the country. And so that's what this case now says. You have the right not only to keep but to bear arms to carry. Now I wanna make sure that you don't confuse that with some other things because there's a question of now a bunch of states passing what's called a constitutional carry means. You don't have to get a permit at all. And I can say that with certainty, the Bruin case didn't say that. It's not a constitutional carry case. It doesn't say it's the same in all 50 states. It specifically says just this idea you do have a fundamental right to carry. States can still restrict that by imposing licensing requirements got to take a class a certain amount of hours got to demonstrate proficiency shooting things like that all of those things remain legal under the Bruin case they just can't have an arbitrary way of saying well you personally mark you don't show any threat so you can't carry a gun you everybody can be put through the same amount of training the same amount of permitting and the like but they can't require that you show special circumstances. So that's fantastic. If you want to know the state of Second Amendment law in the United States today, then just read Justice Thomas's decision. It's a long decision. But honestly, if you're interested in this kind of stuff, it's worth reading. And I think what you're going to see is you're going to see a lot of laws across the country challenged on the basis of the ruling in the Bruin case. What we're going to see is a lot more freedom to exercise your fundamental right to keep and bear arms. So that's a really good thing. So that's the uh, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin, commonly known as the Bruin case. Next is Carson versus Macon. I put them out of order in my outline, but I'm gonna jump to this one. Uh, Commonly referred to the Carson case. And what Carson says basically, if a state funds private school vouchers, then it can't prevent those vouchers from being used for religious schools. Then basically what Maine was trying to do is they had actual areas where there were no public high schools. And so they allowed people to use funds in the form of vouchers for private high schools to send their kids to private schools if they didn't have a public school in their area. But they restricted the use of those funds to schools that were not religious schools. And they tried to do it saying, well, this is a separation of church and state. The doctrine of separation of church and state is completely abused and misused. It was meant to keep the government out of the business of church. It wasn't meant to prevent the government from funding religious activities, from encouraging religious activities. It was meant to keep them from prohibiting religious activities or telling religious institutions how they had to operate. And so this is a great move in the right direction. This is a great religious liberty maneuver. It says, if you're going to fund private schools, you're going to give parents vouchers. They can use them to go to private schools. You can't discriminate against Uh, religious parents and religious schools by saying you can't use those for religious schools. doesn't say you have to have funding for private schools, but if you do, you can't discriminate on a religious basis. So that's another victory for freedom of religion for the First Amendment in the United States. And I have to say, we've got a good long run of religious freedom cases going in the United States right now. If you talk to religious freedom experts, people like Kelly Shackelford at First Liberty, Mike Ferris at Alliance Defending Freedom, You talk to those folks and you ask them, how are we doing on religious liberty? They'll tell you right now, you actually have more religious liberty probably than anybody in the last 100 years. So things are looking good for advocates of religious liberty under the First Amendment. Things are looking good under the Second Amendment. Now, let's go to the case that is the case, I would argue, the biggest political earthquake of my adult lifetime. And that is the Dobbs case, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health commonly referred to as the Dobbs case. You can tell Winston's very excited about that. This is a case where abortion regulation has now been returned to the states. Roe and Casey have been overturned. Look, if you're a pro-life person like me, you've probably been waiting for this for a very long time. Roe was a ridiculous case, which said that abortion was available to people as a constitutional right. It was ridiculous. It was not founded in the law. It was not founded in any precedent. The supreme court invented the law under roe by saying that you had a right to privacy in the constitution you won't find that right written in the constitution either and then they said there was a penumbra created which is i don't even know what a penumbra is so, <laughs> some kind of overarching thing that from that emanates that's the word they use a penumbra and emanations emanates the right to abortion in the constitution never existed it was social engineering by the Supreme Court, it was intended to settle what was a divisive issue in the country at the time. Of course, it didn't settle it. It made it more divisive. The Casey case, which followed after Roe, was intended to create this two-step analysis, this weird standard to determine if you could limit abortion. That was unworkable. It was not legal. It didn't fit with any kind of history of jurisprudence. And then the argument for Roe just became what's been in place for a really long time. So we should keep it. The legal term for that is stare decisis, meaning the thing has already been decided. And so what uh, the, the court said in Dobbs is, nope, we don't have to just keep it because it's been in place for a long time. We had things like separate but equal that were ensconced in the law for a very long time that, thank God, got overturned because they were wrong and they were bad law. And that's now the case with Roe. Roe goes away. So I want to clarify what this means. Because what you have is people on the left going crazy. I think we're gonna see violence, attacks on Catholic churches, attacks on pregnancy planning centers. We've already seen this kind of violence. I think we're gonna see more of it. And what those people are saying is now abortion has been made illegal, and that's not the case. This is a case that is a perfect representation of what we fight for at Convention of States all the time, which is the idea of federalism. The idea that most of this stuff should be decided through the political process at the state level. So what this does, it says it's not a constitutional issue. It's a state law issue. Now, the practical effect of that is there are 13 states that have trigger laws in place. Most of them will be outlawing abortion within 30 days. Those trigger laws said that once Roe versus Wade and Casey were overturned, if it ever happened, these new laws would come into effect. So I think you're going to see 13 states within 30 days, there's there's some delay in, in how fast this happens. But within 30 days, I think you're going to see at least 13 states outlaw abortion overall immediately. I think ultimately you're going to see upwards of 26 to 27 states completely outlaw abortion. Now, there are also a version of trigger laws and something like 16 more liberal states expanding the right to abortion and a bunch of states in the last two sessions have ensconced the right to abortion in the law a lot of them up until the moment of birth right so partial birth abortions really bad evil stuff but now what's going to happen is this is going to be dealt with in the states and that's where it always belonged. That's where this issue sits. It was brought to the Supreme Court and made constitutional by the Roe Court, now overturned. And I would say a dark period in American history is ending. So now if you're a pro-life person, what that means for you is it's time to fight for the right to life for banning abortion at the state level in all 50 states. If that's what you believe, that's what I believe, that's what should happen. I think abortion is immoral and it should be illegal in all 50 states. I think we're headed in that direction. This is a watershed moment in American history. You know, often we talk about that we want to pray for our country's redemption. I do this every day. I think about it all the time. I hear people in churches do it. I know we do it as an organization. And the question you have to ask yourself is, should God redeem our nation? Right? And if you're a nation that kills 61 million plus babies as we have because of Roe versus Wade, do we deserve to be redeemed? And I would say the answer is no. (laughs) Generally speaking, I hate to say that, but now I think we're moving in the right direction where, you know, I'm pretty sure the Lord's smiling right now and saying, this is a step in the right direction. For those of you who've been in this fight a lot longer than me, God bless you guys for being in the fight for life for a very long time in this country. And I would say time to double and triple our efforts, Uh, be in the fight for life, push to make. Uh, abortion illegal in your own states. And this is a really interesting thing. There's a political consequence here that I find fascinating, and that is this. In previous elections, ever since Roe versus Wade, back in 1973, so 50 years roughly, uh, politicians have been able to say, well, if I ask them about abortion, if you ask them about abortion, well, it's really not an issue I'm gonna face, that's been decided by the Supreme Court. Now, whether you're a local politician or a state level politician or a federal politician, You get asked the question on the campaign trail, well, what about abortion? It's not decided anymore. Now it's an issue that is in the purview of the legislatures, including Congress, by the way. Congress is talking about right now the Democrats pushing a bill, legalizing, trying to legalize abortion nationally. Uh, So I think there's going to be a fight over this, and I think the politicians are going to have to take one side or the other of this issue. And I think that's a healthy moral position for the country to be in. So look forward to these big political fights on the ground in the states at the congressional level. I don't by the way, I don't think abortion has a, even a slight chance of passing in Congress right now, even a Congress controlled by Democrats. You've got Manchin and Cinema. I don't think they're gonna allow that to get past cloture. They're not gonna they're not gonna have 60 votes for this to get past cloture in the Senate. I don't think it passes in the House. There's too many people in the House that are vulnerable going into this cycle but I do think this is going to now be a battleground. And I actually think that's a really good thing. The country is lurching back towards federalism. You know, I think that's healthy. A Convention of States, of course, we think that's healthy because we think that things should be decided in the states. The power should be taken away from the federal government, and given back to the people in the states right we think that in regard to environment and energy and education and healthcare, all this stuff should not be decided at the level of the federal government and a lot of the conflict that you and i experience in politics is because things that are decided in washington dc should it not be they were never intended part of that is due to the expansion of the administrative state that's this fourth branch of government where congress delegates powers to this new invented branch, the administrative state, which is then unaccountable to the electorate and pretty much unaccountable to anybody. Congress kind of abdicates its authorities, says, the secretary shall make certain regulations around a certain area, and then leaves it to the secretary of education or energy or HHS or whatever it is to make up all these regulations. The bureaucracy then regulates, and then not only do they regulate, but then they, adjudicate in other words they make regulations and then there are these administrative courts where you can get hold cited hauled into one of these courts they'll adjudicate your fate and decide your punishment this in my opinion is an entirely unconstitutional abrogation of powers or delegation of powers under the non-delegation clause of the united states constitution which says congress makes all the laws right so we have a case upcoming right now which is west virginia versus the epa Uh, which involves this non-delegation clause. uh, And it involves something else called the Chevron Doctrine. And you're going to hear this. It's kind of gets into the legal weeds a little bit, but I want you to know what it is because you're smart enough. You can handle it for sure. The Chevron Doctrine said that when a federal agency makes a rule and then that rule gets challenged, somebody goes up into the courts and says, this is ridiculous. You're misinterpreting this rule that the courts should defer to the regulating agency. It's called the Chevron doctrine after the the, um, oil company Chevron. So in other words, what the court said at that point under the Chevron doctrine is the agency, the authority is delegated to the agency, right? It's done by Congress. I think that's unconstitutional. And then the agency makes the rules. And then the agency gets to decide what's a reasonable interpretation of the rules. And what that allows an agency to do is whatever they want pretty much they can create a rule that means one thing and later on they can say it means something else and the courts are supposed to defer to that well we have a supreme court that's not friendly to the administrative state generally doesn't really like all this delegation of power really seems like they're going to enforce some of the non-delegation clause and also doesn't like the chevron doctrine and they've been chipping back at the chevron doctrine it's possible in this west virginia case i'm not exactly sure but it's possible they're going to overturn chevron and remove this Chevron deference, that would be really good. It would give administrative agencies a lot less leeway. And it's also possible that they're gonna go and enforce this non-delegation stuff. And so we have a chance, and this case is gonna be decided here in the next couple of days. Who knows when, any minute, literally maybe be decided by the time you're actually watching this, because you know I had to turn on the camera and do all that, and I don't know exactly when the decision's coming out but we have a chance to chip back at the administrative state. And I think we're gonna see that over the next couple of cycles. We've got abortion is now gone. So I think we're done with most of the big abortion cases. Second Amendment is appropriately expanded. I think we're gonna see some cases under that, but the big one I think is now behind us. And and now we're gonna move into this area of administrative agencies. What that means is, I think we're moving back towards federalism where these things are decided in the states, the laws are made in the states. Uh, And then the cases are decided if they're decided at the state level and not at the federal level. I think this is a healthy way to be. So I'm telling you all this because everything I just said is good news. How often is it that on a Sunday night I get to come to you with nothing but good news? I'm telling you, that's what I got this week. It's all good news. Mark Meckler is fighting every day to call the first ever Article 5 Convention of States to drain the swamp once and for all. Join Mark and millions of other Americans by signing the official petition at conventionofstates.com pod. And now back to the show. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about uh, state of COS. The North Carolina Senate is considering convention states right now. It's already passed the House. I'm pretty frustrated with the North Carolina Senate right now because I'm going I'm to lay it out where it's at. We get told by leadership, if we have the votes, we're going to vote. And uh, so just show us you have the votes. And we give them a spreadsheet, what's called a whip count. We show them that we have all the votes. We tell them we've got the votes because we've talked to all the senators. We know who says what, when, and where, right? And we mark all this stuff down and then we bring it to the leadership and the leadership usually says to us, well, I don't think you have all the votes you think you have. Somebody's not telling you the truth. And we say, who? And they say, we can't tell you. That's private caucus business. So that's the kind of gamesmanship that you expect in Washington, D.C., but not in Raleigh, North Carolina. It's actually infuriating. It's swamp-like behavior. In other words, what the leadership is saying is, look, some of our members are lying to you. We're going to protect them. So here's what we're saying to the North Carolina leadership. Um, Primarily, this is uh, Senator Phil Berger, who I'm not anti-Phil Berger. Uh, He's voted for us in the past. He says he'll bring it if we have the votes. You can tell Winston doesn't really like Phil Berger maybe right now. He's frustrated. But here's what we're saying, bring it to a vote. Just put it on the table. And if there are people who wanna vote against us and if we lose, we're willing to take our licks, we're willing to lose. Just don't hide people who say they're voting for us, who say they're in favor of us, and then who behind the scenes at caucus meetings are saying that they're not. Because that's disgusting. That's swamp-like behavior, it's reprehensible and leadership protecting that is also reprehensible. So if you're in North Carolina, then make sure you call your senators, especially, and everybody in the entire state of North Carolina should call Senator Phil Berger and tell him that we want to vote. Call Senator Raymond and tell him that we want to vote. He runs the committee that's holding this up. We need to vote. Win, lose, or draw, we want the vote because we want to know where people stand. That's really important. All right, we got similar stuff going on in Pennsylvania. We're really close in the Pennsylvania Senate right now. And there's a whip count going on. We believe we're pretty close on the votes. We thought this was going to come up and be out of caucus and maybe to the floor on Friday. Maybe it happens on Monday. Super close. And we got people who are against us in the Republican caucus. Some people maybe not being entirely honest. If you're in Pennsylvania, call your senator. Tell him you want him to support Convention of States. Tell him you want to vote. Again, we want it on the floor. If we lose, we lose, right? We've lost plenty before we come back. We're not going to quit fighting because we lose but we need to know who's going to cast a vote for or against us. And I want to say this to anybody who's watching this and might be questioning whether this is a good idea. I'm going to give you the most simplistic explanation I have. And that is to tell you this. Against Convention of States are George Soros, Hillary Clinton, Howard Dean, MoveOn.org, Planned Parenthood, La Raza, Daily Cause, and over 230 other leftist groups that have signed a press release against this. And by the way, joining with those radical leftist, baby-killing, America-hating Marxist groups, standing with them is the John Birch Society and Eagle Forum. I don't get it. Occasionally concerned women of America. So these are groups that claim to be right-wing, standing with the baby killers, the Marxists, the socialists, the communists, the America haters, right? So if I found myself in that situation, I'd ask, I did think to myself, I must be on the wrong side. So if you know people who are on that side, ask them how they can stand with Planned Parenthood and Laraz and MoveOn.org and Hillary Clinton, George Soros. Because I don't get that. On the side of people who are in favor of convention of states, you got Rush Limbaugh when he lived, God rest his soul. You got Mark Levin, Sean Hannity, Glenn Beck, Ben Shapiro, Steve Dace, and on down the line. You've got every single nationally known conservative in the United States of America that's weighed in on this is weighed in on in favor. None have weighed in against. Right. So. Ask yourself, which side are you on? Soros and all the radical leftists who hate America, the baby killers, are on the side of Limbaugh, Levin, Hannity, Shapiro, and Beck. And to me, it's pretty simple. And I would say, I would leave it at that. So if you're, whether you're calling in Pennsylvania or North Carolina right now, those are the two states in the docket, ready to go, in the shoots. call your senators there and let them know, now is the time. They're trying to delay long enough so that they never even have to vote on it. That's just spineless all right uh last week i should say this week i was mostly home in texas i spent a few days in midland texas the center of the permian basin the oil producing heart of the united states of america i have a lot of good friends there i was there with my good friend tim dunn and we were recording some bible podcasts specifically on the subject of being a new christian for those of you don't know i was late in life coming to the lord i was 51 years old when i received salvation thank god Literally, thank God that God's so patient because I was a slow learner. And when I came to Christ, there were a lot of things that I didn't understand that seemed new to me, that seemed weird to me. How to pick a church, what denomination, how to read the Bible. What do all these, what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be born again? What's a small group? So a lot of things, if you've been a Christian your whole life, you might not consider. If you're considering being a Christian, you might have these things on your mind. And if you're a new Christian like I was nine years ago, you might've had to go through all this stuff. So we recorded a Bible series Uh, That'll be up on Yellow Balloons. Uh, I think it's yellowballoons.com. You can check it out. Great Bible resource site. Another great Bible resource site, if you're a Bible student like I am, is uh, The Bible Says. Great website for biblical reference stuff. So we were there recording some of these podcasts, visiting some friends. I love Midland, Texas. Some of the best people in the country live there. So I had a couple of days. I wouldn't say I was off, but I was having a great time and i'm glad to be home back here in my house in texas with my wife and the two dogs can you, are the dogs actually chilled out look at that you got levi on the floor you got Minnie, me winston up on the couch and they behave themselves pretty well so thanks to winston and levi thanks to you guys mostly uh and oh before i close out i almost forgot gosh producer g you got to remind me we've got some q a real quick before we close out uh there was a, let me, see, let me scroll up here. First is uh, Susan Peters said, How do you think the Supreme Court abortion decision affects the Convention of States movement? And sorry, I almost missed those, producer G. Uh, I would say it helps the Convention of States movement because it's a good example of federalism. This stuff should have never left the federal government. We can take a bunch of the stuff away from the federal government without waiting for the Supreme Court by calling a Convention of States. So I think it gives us momentum. Next is uh, Leona Ann Brescher says, I want to know when the convention of states will happen. You know, I don't know. That's between you and God. God will decide. I think it could happen as early as 2024, 2025. We're at 19 out of 34 states. We could potentially get to 22 states this year. That would leave us 12 states shy, six and six over the next couple of years. So I'd say 24, 25. Uh, Next is Peter Grilla says, how do you feel about the gun bill passed by the Senate? I hate it. I think it's really bad. I think it's filled with a bunch of pork. I think it it promotes red flag laws, which have the potential for abuse. And certainly, in other words, if your left-wing neighbors or left-wing people say about you, oh, look, you're a crazy person, you shouldn't have guns, and they go to the police, basically without due process, they can show up at your house, take all your guns away, and then you gotta prove why you get your guns back. I think that lacks due process. I think it's against the United States Constitution. I think it would be overturned by the Supreme Court, but it promotes these things. To Senator Cornyn and the other Senator, Senator Cornyn from Texas, my home state, shame on you guys. Horrendous what you guys did. You abandoned your constituents. Senator Cornyn got booed for about 20 minutes straight at the Texas Republican Party convention here. He deserved it and he deserves a lot worse than that. I wish there was a recall method to remove him from office. Alex Gallimore said, did you hear about the drag queen in Dallas? Yeah, I heard about drag queen performances in a lot of places, Austin, Dallas, all over the country. Look, drag queens are free to do whatever they wanna do, except for they should not be free to perform for little children. I think that's child abuse. I think a parent that takes their kid to these sexualized drag queen shows and they're nothing else other than that, they're grooming children to accept and promote bizarre, I think perverse sexual behaviors. You can't bring your kid to a strip show. You shouldn't be able to bring your kid to a drag queen show. Both of those are immoral. I think it should be illegal, and I think it's up to you, and I do mean this. I mean you, Alex, you and me. It's up to men, when they hear these things are going on, to go stand outside and protest these things. If I hear them going on in my city and I'm home, I'm going to be there protesting. I'm going to stand for the kids. We're going to impose shame on the people that would impose this bizarre sexual ideology on our kids. We live in dangerous times. It's time for real men and women to stand up and fight back. I know that's what you guys are doing, but... Take some time this week. Celebrate the victories because that's what we're doing on the Battle Cry this week. We are celebrating and we're celebrating especially the saving of kids, the saving of religion, the preservation of of the First Amendment and religious freedom. We're celebrating the Supreme Court actually doing the right thing and the trend is in the right direction. So God bless you guys. Thanks for being on the Battle Cry this week. Uh, You can write to BattleCry at can it Battlecry at Convention? What are we doing here? Email battlecry at cosaction.com if you want to put your questions in. Battlecry at cosaction.com and I'll answer them. I'm not saying I'll do a good job, but I'll answer them. Producer G, thanks for bearing with me. God bless you guys. Winston and Levi say, have a great week and we'll see you next week on the Battle Cry. This has been the podcast version of the Battlecry with Convention of States Action President Mark Meckler. Check out more content at conventionofstates.com slash pod and become part of the solution that's as big as the problem. Thank you for listening.